The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to welcome Junyu Roshi and his wife Myogen Sun. They are both here visiting from their Zendo and Aikido dojo in New Jersey. And it's been a delight having them. Uh, we had a chance to meet and talk yesterday have dinner together. I had met them first at uh, Martin Luther King session in New York, New York City, New York Zendo. And Junyu Roshi has been leading his Sangha in session at Daibasatsu Zendo. And I think this coming October will be the third time, right? So it's a great pleasure to have you here. One of the interesting questions that came up in our discussion yesterday evening had to do with how one continues to motivate students, oneself. Very often, as I spoke of in a talk here a couple of Sundays ago, we get to this place that feels like a plateau or a desert. Does anyone remember that talk? Uh, I don't really remember it, but <laughs> I know I spoke about those things. And it can seem as though there is no point to continuing because there is a feeling of a kind of listlessness or lack of enthusiasm. The honeymoon stage has worn off and we sometimes find that people will leave at that point. Um, and other people start to feel that just putting one foot in front of another, somehow the karmic force of their practice becomes something that is just nothing special. And after all, this is nothing special. When we really understand that, then we start to feel truly we are held. You know the gospel song, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Yes, everyone knows that song. It's absolutely true. 
Of course, we don't speak in terms of he or she, but who is really holding us? It's only when we get to this place where we get rid of our illusions about the significance, the meaning of practice, all of these things that Master Rinzai is always trying to deprive us of, but we hold on so tightly. He may be saying that, but he, you know, really, he does have meaning, right? 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 Why did Bodhidharma come? on that long boat ride. For three years he was on that boat. Surely he had some intention, right? He himself speaks of his intention. But the point is it's tricky because we get so easily hooked by what we think we're doing. And when it doesn't feel like what we think we should be doing, we get discouraged. Has anyone ever felt this? Surely there should be something. That's the problem, right? As Umun Zenji said, something, no matter how wonderful, is never better than nothing. But we reify that too. Oh, this nothing, this great motion. Oh, it's so wonderful. And then what? Oh, it's so boring. Ah, that's really where I have to say congratulations. Get rid of it, get rid of it. So last uh, Dharma study, this was a recent one, right? When was last Dharma study? This past Sunday? Mm -hmm. We heard the passage in uh, Red Pine's translation of Inang's teaching. And he, he is told about this gatha that the head monk had written on the wall in the south corridor. And he says, I want to pay my respects. And he says, I hope that by reciting it, I'll establish a karmic connection and be reborn in a Buddha land. Now we come to this practice without saying such things consciously. In American life, we don't talk about uh, being reborn in a Buddha land. We don't think in terms of establishing a karmic connection. And yet there's something very powerful about what Inang said at that moment. And then later Red Pine, in his commentary, speaks about karmic connection. And this was a matter of some controversy at our Dharma study meeting, so I thought I would return to it. Yeah. This light over here, there's a um, uh, 
there's a switch for it somewhere back there in the hallway. See, we don't need those. Yeah, that's what happened. This one went off too. Beautiful, thank you. I see the light, I see the barley light. Okay, karmic connection. Every thought, word, or deed bears its fruit in this life or the next or the next. And people may take this in an odd direction. We talked about how powerful our thoughts are and how the thought leads to the word, leads to the deed. We are what we think, the Dhammapada says. So then someone said something about, well, it sounds like Wunung is just repeating the same kind of mechanistic stepping up the ladder by wiping the mirror of dust that the head monk wrote his gatha about, right? If I only think good thoughts about a putty cat, then no problem. <laughs> maybe some of you don't know the cartoon that came out maybe when I was a little girl, I don't know. Do you remember? Yeah. Think good thoughts about a putty cat. It's great Dharma teaching. We so often find ourselves getting entangled by judgmental attitudes, and those thoughts just have a way of creating this, you know, continual cycle of negativity. Once one thought comes up like that, that is, in other words, a thought of self-centered, fear, anger, delusion, whatever. It almost always is revolving around some feeling of threat to the ego. Well, we all can agree about that, at least. Yes? We've noticed? So what I have been saying is that it's really important to notice that thought when it arises and not let it get into its continual circling around. Because when that happens, you know the expression, the shit hits the fan? You know, so it's going around and everybody gets a share of that negativity. But then it's easy, as I started saying a little while ago, that it's easy to, to become caught up in the kind of dualistic notion of, oh, those are bad thoughts. I should only think good thoughts, right? That's the problem when we start talking about this. How can I turn my bad thoughts into good thoughts? Well, of course, the answer to that is you can't turn your thoughts into anything because what is the thought 
when it is when you take the the ownership out when it's no longer your thought when it's no longer about your situation your difficulty your disagreement your irritation you know all that then what take pain for example no don't take it just pain when it's my pain it's very bad right when i own it it's very bad terrible pain but when i don't say my pain when i realize it is just just pain it ceases to be an issue because it ceases to have that reality that i've ascribed to it and the same is true of our thoughts when something is troublesome we tend to really believe in it to the point where we are so entangled that the pure simple truth of any moment that we are in is temporarily lost sight of and all of the projection is the only thing the projection what do i mean by projection Hmm. these consuming thoughts about past and how that's going to influence the future become so real that we're completely missing you know just a little while ago i was standing waiting before we started our mandala day service i was waiting in the entryway and through the slats of the blinds at the end of the ramp there was we call it maple tree this is available all the time this is so funny right but the maple tree is right there. This is what Joshua meant when he said, well, there are many translations of what kind of tree it was. It could be oak tree in the garden, cypress tree in the garden, juniper tree in the garden. It happens to be maple tree in the garden today. Well, anyway, so how to motivate uh, students, ourselves, when there is this sense that the mind has grown so 
in a way, I, I want to use the word disrespectful. Um, the truth of this moment, getting tangled up, holding views about what should be or shouldn't be. My practice should be such and such. I don't feel what I think I should feel. I don't have that, that enthusiasm anymore. All this stuff. If they hadn't done such and such, I would be. What? cling to these things so avidly, these myths of our own lives so avidly. So I picked up Buddha Dharma, this issue, spring 2016. We have it outside, inside. And there was um, a nice article by <coughs> Ed Brown, Edward S. B. Brown. Probably many of you know of him because of the Tassajara cookbook. He was the chef at Green Gulch and longtime Zen priest, ordained by Shinyu Suzuki Roshi in San Francisco. So here's a depiction of him in a, someone's artwork. But who is the real Ed Brown? Here's a depiction of him. A photograph, little one. Can you see? Little one. He's an old codger like me. He's been around a long time. And... Uh, he wrote the foreword to the book that I did of Maureen Stewart's teachings, Subtle Sound. He very much admired her teaching. So he starts this, uh, this uh, essay. And this is in italics. Why don't you touch what's inside with some warmth? and kindness. Hearing the words come from within, tears silently gushed down my face, off my chin and onto my black robes. Without a thought, I had agreed. Though I had never heard that quiet, clear voice before, I followed it without hesitating. And just like that, Though I had no clue at the time, the trajectory of my life shifted. I think we, each one of us has had something like that happen, right? Something bubbles up from within. Some truth comes. It might not fit what we thought we were doing, why we were doing it. Something comes up from within. It was the spring of 1984, and I was the head resident teacher at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center. 
sitting with my face moist, somewhat astonished, somewhat deflated. That soft, distinct voice commented, it's about time. Why don't you touch what's inside with some warmth and kindness? It's about time. I had been practicing Zen for 19 years. Then he asks, how long shall we wait to get real, to connect with what is inside, to connect with what is inside with what is outside? Inside, outside. To connect. Form is exactly Shunyata, shunyata, exactly form. How long to shift from performance to presence? I think when people start to feel that they've reached some plateau where nothing's going on, nothing's really inspiring, it's because they've gotten stuck in performance. Per form. Then he says, from control to compassion. When we feel or really obligated to live according to some idea of perfection. And we have to control every aspect in order to meet that. We're deadening ourselves, right? To, he goes on, to living from one's heart or felt sense rather than from one's head. Zen, Suzuki Roshi once explained, pointing first to his head and then to his belly, is to settle the self on the self. Settle this, what we think, right? We think, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? What's my meaning? What's my intention? on the self, the hara. Who am I, really? Later, some weeks uh, after that, uh, after the end of the practice period that uh, Ed Brown was leading, Katagiri Roshi came for a visit, and he went to Doksan. And he said, Katagiri Roshi in Zazen, I've simply been feeling what's inside. Is that Zen? Or is there something else that I should be doing that is more Zen, or that will be more helpful in advancing my Zen practice? Yeah, right? 
How can I climb up that ladder to having those pure thoughts? I want my thoughts to be karma-free. I am going to control my mind. Good luck. This is all tied together. After he asked that question, Roshi said, Ed, for 20 years, I tried to do the Zazen of Dogen. Before I realized there was no such thing. So we may think I should have only clear mirror mind. There's no such thing. Then thought, word, deed. No karmic consequence. There is nothing to project. Right on schedule, quit my inner voice. Right on schedule. All the meaning I had attributed to the world I'd been living and working in was gone. Measuring up. Assessments. Assessments. This Zen that I'm doing, is it really the right Zen? Am I really motivated in my practice? Or am I just... What's that wonderful expression? Going to hell in a handbasket. Karma. Going to hell in a handbasket. My standing in the world of Zen. There was no such thing. It's either a huge relief or terribly disillusioning. You sink or swim with the insight that meaning is something you ascribe or don't. What's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? What if, as Rinzai said, no intention whatsoever? If he had any intention, he couldn't even have saved himself. If we're carrying around a pack of meaning, pack, you know, backpack, how can we meet? How can we meet intimately in a way that can be liberative? to others. That pack of meaning is saying, oh, you should do this. If only you did that, if then you stop doing that, then you'll be fine. 
Is that compassion? The worst thing is we do it to ourselves. You're no good. You haven't gotten. Maybe someday when you finally. What you are doing cannot be grasped with words. Without your story, who would you be? In that pack is a lot of narrative, right? Well, if not for this, then I would not. Because that happened. They were so mean to me. We all have these stories. Without your story, who would you be? Are you lighter or lost? I think a lot of people are fearing, well, if I don't have my story, I'll be lost. How wonderful. I will be lost. Then who is doing your life? When you're lost. So then, what does he say? Dogen, clarifying his understanding of Zazen, wrote, Once its heart is grasped, you are like a dragon swimming in the water, like a tiger at home in the jungle. Huge relief, it sounds like. Ed Brown says, yet inside me was a zoo. And the zookeeper was not feeling any sense of sovereignty akin to the dragon or the tiger sporting about in its element. If we really are honest, we often are feeling that way, right? Hey, zookeeper, do you have any idea what you're doing? Not really. Great. In many ways, Ed says, this is when practice can truly begin. Outwardly, you follow the forms, while inwardly, your life reshapes itself like the unformed mass in a pupa transforming into a butterfly. You trust. You go on. You wait, while still maintaining the outer forms that support your life. This is a very important point. You trust, you go on, you wait, while still maintaining the outer forms that support your life. So in terms of encouraging people who feel that they're at a place where they just don't have inner motivation any longer, other people oneself, how do we go on? You go on. In in a lot of, I think in a lot of ways we're spoiled, right? We think we should go on with accolades. We think we should go on with absolute promises that it will become something that we will finally 
have great kensho, and then all of our problems will be solved. Kensho doesn't solve anything. It just makes you laugh. So he says, for a few months, as he was going through all of this inner, outer recognition, it was fine. But then one day in late August, as I was returning to Tassajara after a vacation of a few days, I slowed for someone strolling toward me and rolled down the window. It was my friend, Christine Nielsen. Hi, Ed, how are you? In response, I burst into tears unable to speak. My inner world wasn't going to stay quietly well-behaved after all. And he speaks about having dinner with Christine and her husband. And then he says, Within two months of that dinner, I was living in a two-room cabin in the woods in the Bishop Pine Preserve on the other side of a dirt road from J.B. and Christine. To make the move, I'd had to extricate myself from my responsibilities at the Zen Center, where I had been slated to lead the fall practice period scheduled to begin in three or four weeks. I couldn't imagine being the teacher and bursting into tears in front of a room full of students. So he stayed on 19 years at the Zen Center, then 20 years in the woods. Now another 10 years beyond that. No knowing the direction my life would take. Feeling my way along. Awkward in a hundred ways, clumsy in a thousand, still I go on, said Zen Master Yakusan. Wonderful, this saying. So encouraging. How do we encourage students? Awkward in a hundred ways, clumsy in a thousand, still. best way to encourage anyone is to be just as you are. Awkward, clumsy, slow, making mistakes all the time, unable to really get it together, finding yourself over and over caught up in all the old delusions you thought you had gotten beyond. And he said, looking from this vantage point at his practice, implicitly I kept getting the sense that I was being asked to take responsibility for everything and everyone. This is certainly a teacher's dilemma, right? 
I need to make sure that they are feeling strong in their practice. Come on. We can't do that. If only my behavior were more impeccable, others' behavior would change for the better. Well, this is probably true, right? If I weren't so full of shit, you wouldn't be either. Well, in some sense, we are the same. Cannot separate. It is your unfortunate karma to be here as my students, quote unquote. So this is what he's going through, thinking about this. <clears throat> my impeccability would save them from their problems, especially their emotional ones. When I believed this, I was often left feeling ashamed that I was not good enough to do this. Never mind that it is not possible. So he goes on at length about, you know, how he realized his practice wasn't good enough and When we are aiming to eliminate all the things that we feel are impediments to our true practice, he says, we are merely in the world of samsara, tying ourselves down with the teachings rather than using them for liberation. So again, going back to the mind, right? Karma. We can use the great teachings of liberation to tie ourselves into knots. Isn't that crazy? Needless to say, Ed Brown says, this could be a wonderful practice for 19 years, as it was for me. We have to go through that. Somebody can't tell you, don't tie yourself up in knots around the Buddha's teachings. I just did, but it won't do you a bit of good. When you do that, maybe you end up with enough inner strength to be present with what is unfolding inside. In other words, when you really give yourself over to whatever your misunderstandings of your practice are, but really just keep doing it. Keep learning the forms impeccably. Keep thinking you can control the whole universe, but keep going, keep going. Keep making those mistakes. He says, you end up with enough inner strength to be present with what is unfolding inside. So we need both because they're not separated. We create this wonderful discipline, this strong practice, this tradition, so that we can be present to what's unfolding inside, not repressive, present, big di difference, right? and with enough courage to give it expression 
in a way that others stay and do not flee the vicinity. So expression, not the shit hits the fan, but expression, maybe through poetry, maybe through a talk, maybe through some other form. The form is important. The expression is important. What is inside is often not particularly articulate. Rumi suggests, though, what was spoken to the rose that made it bloom is being spoken here in your heart now. Isn't that a wonderful Rumi line? What, is, what was spoken to the rose? Who spoke? What was spoken to the tree? Who spoke? Is being spoken here in your heart now. Notice, was, is. Rose. Last summer? No, right here. In your heart. We listen, he says, with the ears inside the ears. This is what is meant by the Zen saying to listen, to hear. With ears that hear, to see with eyes that see. Everything that has stood in the way drops away. And then Ed says, when we allow thoughts and feelings to arise without getting tangled up with them, there is the opportunity for letting something hidden, ancient or troublesome, simply appear, be acknowledged, and pass through. So getting back to earlier uh, note about stories, the stories that we carry around with us, that heavy weight in the backpack. When we allow thoughts and feelings to arise without getting tangled up with them, so the teachings of those stories can be indeed amazing when we don't get tangled up and identify with them as, that's who I am, and I'm no good because of that, or whatever we add. Then they simply appear, are acknowledged, and pass through. Our energy body, he says, can grow stronger as these blockages clear. Obviously, it's not simply a matter of taking the pack off our back. We have to really understand what's in that. We can't just say, oh, it has no substance whatsoever. We have to really find that out for ourselves to pass through. We're not transcending. We're not doing spiritual bypassing, as the phrase goes. 
We find our voice. We offer what we have to offer. We can share what we have to share. The teaching confronts each one of us. I let others go their way. And I go my own way, informed from within, thankful for Suzuki Roshi's teaching. Some of you are trying to be good Zen students. Why don't you just be yourself? I'll get to know you better that way. Trying to be good Zen students. Trying to be like Suzuki Roshi. Trying to be like Soen Roshi. Trying to be like Buddha Shakyamuni. Why don't you just be yourself? Then who are you? Then where is Buddha?